Welcome to Black Body Health, the podcast. This is the show where we come together to talk about the intersection of our health and our culture. Podcasting from South Louisiana, this is Brittany Castine, preacher, pastor, political junkie, and now podcaster. And I am Ideal Ortiz, your co-host with Brittany, hailing from the Bull City and a longtime public health advocate. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Let's get started. So you guys may or may not know, I do, I don't know if you know or not, but um, last month my grandmother passed away, but on Monday I received the death certificate. And I don't know about other places across the country, but in Louisiana for sure, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they ask you to list the cause of death and all of that good stuff. Time of death was uh, the coroner called, was an autopsy done, all of that, all of that, all of that. But there was one question on there that really caught my attention, clearly because of my background. And that question was, was this death a tobacco-related death? Interesting. And I didn't realize that those death certificates got that specific. You know, I, I did not either. Uh, and I, I had not, you know, uh, I guess fortunately, I have not had that many death certificates to, to look at or to review. So that That's question, that question, was this death a tobacco-related death? And... For my grandmother, the answer was yes, um, mm -hmm. picking up her cigarettes at the age of 14. And so even though wow. I do this work, even though, you know, it's something that we've been into for some time, it really hits home and it's very yeah. real. It's very real. So I started this week with sort of having to level set mm -hmm. and to do some centering around this issue of tobacco prevention, tobacco control. Um, you know, we still know even today tobacco use is the leading cause of death and disease in this country um, and a great number of African Americans, a great number of black folks who smoke. In fact, nearly 90% of black folks who smoke use menthol cigarettes. For the listeners that don't know Brittany and I as well, Brittany and I met on that journey um, doing public health work specifically on teen tobacco prevention. And, you know, I'm sorry to hear about your grandmother's loss and, you know, her story of, you know, starting at a younger age is a story that is unfortunately too common. And that is exactly what I've come to understand in my work in public health around this issue that the tobacco industry deliberately targets young people and deliberately more so targets Black young people, specifically with these menthol products, mentholated cigarettes and um, little cigars. And that's how you and I met, Brittany, doing work in Washington, D.C. to lobby the federal government for FDA regulation of tobacco that would cease the use of flavors in regular cigarette products. And, you know, at the time, I always thought it was odd that menthol was not included. And so I think it's a really important thing for people doing tobacco prevention to learn a lot more or public health in general, if you care about black lives, to understand the mechanisms of different products that are killing our people, 45,000 black folks a year to be specific. And so I think that, um, you know, our audience could use, I think, a deeper dive on mentholated products and why they're such a big deal. And so to that end, um, it's definitely you know, a big deal. It's a it's a huge yeah. deal. Uh, I, I remember when I was much younger. Right. Um, there was a time when there were all sorts of flavored 
cigarettes, strawberry, mm-hmm. all sorts of really bizarre fa- flavors. And of course, there was a lot of work that went into uh, mm-hmm. the, the public health community did a lot of work. There was a lot of advocacy. And then, boom, um, no more flavored cigarettes. So yeah. we thought. Right. And so, but, you know, that, the thing about that is that, like, none of those flavored cigarettes were ever as popular as menthol. And so, you know, we really missed the boat with FDA regulation to not include menthol. And so we know that the work continues, that people are still at it. And there are folks who are super dedicated to this, who are going to be our guests today. Brittany, do you want to share a little bit about them? Sure. Uh, our guests, uh, Dr. Phil Gardner and Carol Magruder, awesome folks. One of the things that Dr. Phil has said that really resonates with me was that menthol helps make the poison go down easier. Um, yeah. yeah. Menthol is what sort of numbs your throat, cools your throat, allows folks to uh, inhale longer, hold it in their lungs longer, and uh, it leads to greater addiction. Menthol is, uh, and while clearly we know nearly 90% of black folks who smoke, smoke menthol cigarettes, but what we also know is menthol cigarettes are starter cigarettes for all sorts of young people, um, not just black young people, but also white young people, also Hispanic, Latino uh, young people start off uh, pretty fairly equally utilizing mentholated cigarettes. And so, again, it helps make the poison go down uh, easier. And, and it's really interesting because you, while all that work happened a number of years ago to remove flavors, we know that menthol is a flavor. It's mint. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's a flavor. Uh, and so you know, our guests today have, have really done a great job at breaking down some of all of the scientific language, really being able to help translate some of the science into uh, things that we can understand from a public policy standpoint. And I'm so excited that they were able to break away from their busy schedule to talk to us today about mentholated tobacco products. On just a lighter note, um, in the news, our good friends from Black Lives Matter have really been doing a great job at sort of keeping the drumbeat out there and just showing up in all sorts of ways. Clearly, you know by now, COVID-19, coronavirus has interrupted sort of our normal way of life. And now, even in the sports world, even as folks are are, um, playing sports again, That stuff is a whole lot different than what it's been in years past. Um, But even with that, we're seeing how players who may be playing in empty arenas or slim down arenas um, are using their really huge platforms to promote the Black Lives Matter agenda. And so in the news just this week, just last week, we're seeing where NBA players, right, players for the National Basketball Association are using this time to write things on the back of their jersey. Instead of writing their own names, um, they're writing statements like Black Lives Matter and Say Her Name Mm -hmm. and Equality, those types of things. Have you been seeing that? I have. And, you know, I know I'm not, I'm going to get myself in trouble with this, but, you know, the little documentary that featured Michael Jordan and some people were very taken aback by how apolitical um, he maintained himself during his career. So this is a good thing, in my opinion, to see players um, walking away from that example and throwing in their hat into the arena of free speech. LeBron James was quoted as saying this, it's an opportunity to use this platform, and of course he's talking about the NBA, 
to use this platform to spread a lot of positivity and love throughout the whole world. And I could not agree more that, you know, this is a great opportunity for NBA players, uh, for entire sports team, frankly, uh, to use their huge platform, use uh, the power of their brand and the media that comes along with it to promote the fact that black lives do matter. So shout out right now to the National Basketball Association and to those stars, those players, those teams who are going out and making their voices heard. In the national news, one of the things that is kind of playing out in the background right now in the middle of the pandemic, my gosh, help us all, help us all, is that nationally we are implementing the U.S. Census 2020. And so this is where all members of your household need to get counted, and it gives the government plenty of data, and it helps to decide all kinds of things, like how we're going to allocate federal resources to different communities for things like housing, education, transportation, everything you can possibly think of that the government is involved in. Oftentimes, the funding for that and how much communities get is determined by the census data that comes out every 10 years. So making sure that this census is as accurate as possible, that we complete um, surveys and let the government know exactly who lives here and where um, is super important to make sure that we get the things that we need. And up until recently, the Census Bureau has been allowing the, de the deadline for the census to be October 31st because of the pandemic. And all of a sudden, um, this week and last week, what has been coming to the news is that they are actually cutting the deadline back, not moving it out, cutting it back to September 30th. And that has got folks on the ground scrambling to try to figure out how to fill out the census um, get or get communities to fill out the census on time. There's usually a massive effort by local churches, community groups, government departments. Everybody is an all-hands-on-deck effort to try to get the census done by October 31st. And so this is a major blow to those efforts as people all of a sudden see one month of that deadline evaporate away from their timeline. It's really unfortunate that we are hearing this news because, I mean, yeah, listen, for uh, decades, right, politics were really not a huge part in the administering of the census. And uh, I don't know why, right, all of a sudden, politics is really infused into the administering of the census this time around. I'm not certain what the powers that be are afraid of. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> I know they're afraid of this simple fact that uh, when they count everybody uh, and when they have adequate time to count everybody, they'll discover that there are even more black and brown uh, voices, yeah. black and brown individuals, black and brown folks getting ready to come into power, yeah. right? And so it's unfortunate that this is going to be used or that politics um, has been infused into this process. But right now, I think we must do our part by um, screaming from yep. the top of our lungs the importance of being counted. Uh, so much is at mm -hmm. stake. Your representation in Congress, yes. money that comes and flows into your various communities, yep. uh, even things with respect to how long lines will be, you know, in your various government buildings that are run and operating your communities. All of that stuff um, is looked at in some way or form based on the data that mm -hmm. comes from the And, census. you know, this is the first time that you don't just have the that little paper that comes to you in the mail and then you send it back after you filled it out. 
this year, thank God that we have these options given the restrictions on physical contact, but you can fill out the census online or over the phone. And that's actually not something that's been available the last time the census was being done. So go to my2020census.gov, my2020census.gov, and you can fill out your census online there, or you can call at one 844 330-2020. And you can have someone take your census by phone, which is really great for folks who might have issues with literacy or mobility issues around writing. So that's another way to conveniently fill out your census. But, you know, I have a different take on the census. You know, first time Black folks were counted in the census was in 1870. And for those of us who are trying to do research about our lineage and our heritage and our families, the census is a really accessible, free archive of data about people in the United States. And this is a awesome resource for folks who are doing research about their people and want to be able to know their ancestors by name. How will the people of our lineage find us when we are ancestors? And so you want to protect your legacy. You want to be counted. You want to be um, able to be documented because your life matters. And so my2020census.gov, if you want to fill it out online, or 1-844-330-2020 if you want to do the census by phone. Hi, everybody. It's Rittany and I deal here with Black Body Health, the podcast coming to you with episode number four, where our topic is blowing smoke, why menthol is dangerous. And I'm really excited about this topic today uh, in particular, because as you know, we've said many times, Ideal and I, we've had lots of experience in the broader public health movement over the last 15 years or so. But we've spent a great deal of time in the tobacco prevention space, did lots of work with youth prevention, and of course, lots of work with menthol and flavors. And so this particular topic is very near, very dear to our hearts. Uh, so I'm really grateful because today we are able to have this conversation with some of the most brilliant minds and incredible activists that this movement has seen in Carol Magruder and Phil Gardner who are part of the African-American Tobacco Control Leadership Council. And so we are excited about having them here with us today. How's it going, Dr. Phil? How's it going, Carol? It's going fabulous. And it's so good to hear your voice. Oh, it's great to hear yours as well. I know uh, we have all sort of been social distancing, haven't had a chance to see each other, but the work has certainly been able to continue. So let's start there. Like, what have you been up to in this space? What have you been up to in the menthol world as of late? Well, I'll, I'll start. Um, actually, um, we've been still doing a lot of uh, menthol work. In fact, a number of local municipalities have adopted um, restrictions and prohibitions on menthol in the course of this way we've been arguing it and I think you appreciate this um, Brittany um, we know that menthol cigarettes and flavored little cigars are the main vectors of death and disease into the black community and with the COVID-19 um, pandemic exposing all the underlying um, systemic racism that has forced our um, 
people into poor health historically. There could be nothing more important um, in doing something for black folks and making black folks matter is to then to get menthol cigarettes and flavored little cigars straight out of the black community. So even in the last two months, um, Oakland got rid of its um, adult venue um, smoke shop um, exemption and went um, completely flavor free. Hayward did the same thing um, and they're taking it up in um, Sacramento um, at the statewide level. I don't have the same, um, what can I say, enthusiasm about it because the higher up the food chain you go, the more um, powerful the tobacco industry is. But um, we've been doing some good work. I'm going to let Carol on. Um, so that's just a couple. I mean, the in fact, it actually, when you put the thing together with the COVID 19 and Black Lives Matter, it has become actually an important discussion in city councils to not be opening up smoke shops and not be putting flavored little stuff in um, in, in kids' hands. So the work has gone on. Carol, you want to? You can talk about the lawsuit and all all this. There's all sorts sure. of stuff going on, Rich. Sure, sure. I'll jump in there. So first of all, I I want to give people a little context because um, I don't know how many how many discussions you've had about this, uh, Brittany and Ideal, but. Uh, President Barack Obama signed the Tobacco Control Act in 2009. So we are now in 2020. So that's quite a bit of time ago. And when the Tobacco Control Act was signed, it was a historic um, event. Brittany, you were still with us in tobacco control, and we were all excited about it because we thought, okay, the FDA has finally get, been given a mandate to do something about this. At the time when the Tobacco Control Act was signed, all flavors in cigarettes were taken out off the market because it was just known and accepted that flavors hook children, flavors entice children to, to try it. They make it go down easier. And all the flavors were taken out except for menthol. Menthol was given a pass. And black people smoke menthol cigarettes. And so many people think that this was just a happenstance. Um, I actually saw this as a, a Jeopardy question on Saturday Night Live as a joke, like why do black people smoke menthol? And the reason black people smoke menthol is because they were dumped in our communities, uh, given away to children as young as nine years old. Our leadership groups were co-opted and our media and Newport cigarettes and mentholated products just became a part of our lives. They became the co-stars of our lives um, and it became the norm. So when the Tobacco Control Act was signed and menthol was left in, the Congressional Black Caucus under the leadership of Donna Christensen, who's a medical doctor, they put in a, uh, an amendment on menthol that the FDA was supposed to do something about it. So since 2009, they've been studying it. They've been talking about it, uh, but they haven't done anything about it. And so um, we've been working locally, statewide, nationwide to get these deadly products out of our communities. The number one killer of black people more than everything else combined, killing 45,000 black folks a year. And so people who don't understand the history, they get it twisted and they say, oh, they're trying to take something away from us that we like. We like menthol. That's Black people's preference. So the first thing is, is that it's killing us um, and we're spending a lot of money for that. And that the other thing is that the reason why we quote unquote like it is because uh, that we have been preyed upon and mm -hmm. now it's just a part of the fabric of our, of our communities, but we need to cut it out. You said something that just caught my attention there um, because I do know that the tobacco industry has a long 
long history of marketing much more heavily in the black community, but you said something about dumping them in our communities. And I, I want you to say a little bit more about that um, and some of the tactics that the tobacco industry has utilized to market their product in the black community. Sure. So there's a research paper called Racialized Geography that was written by our very own Dr. Valerie Yerger and Ruth Malone and others at University of California, San Francisco. And in that research paper, using the tobacco industries, their own internal documents that were released due to litigation and whistleblower. So these were their own internal reports. Um, they just were able to see how the tobacco industry systematically uh, cultivated, not cultivated, but preyed upon the African-American community and giving free cigarettes away to, to children, you know, in these vans. Um, and that's documented in, there's a documentary called Black Lives, Black Lungs. But specifically in these reports, uh, the, they were told to stay out of the suburbs. And at that time, the suburbs meant white children. And so, um, you know, it was specifically targeted for us. And that's the racialized geography. And that's uh, what you see, the, the legacy of that. You see that today, the uh, cool jazz festival, uh, the uh, latching on to our cultural events and jazz, you know, that you're a musician, you're a sports athlete, but you're smoking cigarettes. All of that was a part of making it normal and making it a part of the fabric of our lives. Can I, and the can I add to that? Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so this has been going on for now some 60 years by the tobacco industry, specifically targeting black folks. We have data nationwide that shows that there are more advertising for menthol cigarettes in the black community compared to other communities. There are more lucrative promotions in, the, in our community. And I guess what pisses me off the most is that menthol cigarettes are cheaper in the black community. This is the, this is the definition of predatory marketing. Um, and Unfortunately, this goes on till this day. This started in the 60s. Um, it took off in the 70s and 80s. Newport became the leading cigarette um, in the early 1990s and has remained such. They've added little flavored little cigars to it. Um, you can buy those little flavored cigars two for 99 cents. Um, it's, it's outrageous, frankly. Um, and what's been even more outrageous, which we should talk about at some point, is that getting black ministers to argue that it's our cigarette and we should have it. And we know that this is the main killer of black folks. You raised some interesting points. Um, I think one thing that would certainly be helpful, even as we have had this conversation and all of us have been intimately involved in this work again for some time now, let's take a, a few steps back. What is menthol? Why is it dangerous? You know, how can we really educate our listeners on, on menthol cigarettes? What do, what do they really need to know that they likely do not? Well, let me do, let me do the chemical side of it and, um, and, 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 and kind of go through it with folks. Um, um, menthol is an anesthetic, okay, um, by definition. Um, that's what it was invented for and is used for. Um, it's put in cigarettes to mask the harsh taste of smoking. It has a cooling sensation. It activates taste buds. I think what's interesting about this, the same taste buds that are activated when you um, use hot sauce are activated when you 
smoke a cool cigarette or a Newport cigarette. Um, it acted um, capsaicin. So even though hot sauce is sometimes um, irritating, people like hot sauce and menthol does the same thing. As I've mentioned, it has anesthetic effect. It allows you to um, inhale more deeply. The more deeply you inhale, the more nicotine you intake, the more nicotine and toxins you intake, the more addicted you become. We already know that it's, we have data that shows that it's harder for folks to quit um, if they use menthol cigarettes. When you menthol in cigarettes, when it's metabolized in the liver and becomes cotony, menthol slows down the metabolism of nicotine, meaning it stays in the body longer. Moreover, the darker your skin, the more, the more melanin you have in your body, it will hold nicotine also. Nicotine, um, menthol also activates what we call neurotransmitters in the brain or what we call nicotine receptors. If you smoke menthol cigarettes, you have more nicotine receptors in your brain. This is all data-driven. Um, it um, increases drug absorption across, um, like if you chew tobacco and it has menthol in it, it crosses your gum barrier much more effectively. And last and probably and interestingly, as interestingly and much as dangerously, uh, the more menthol in a cigarette, the greater the cell permeability. And when we say cell permeability, it means it can penetrate the cell much more effectively if menthol's in the smoke compared than if menthol is not in the smoke. Um, why I say that, it's interesting to note that um, all cigarettes actually have menthol in them. It's just to the degree there are what we call the characterizing flavors that we have been focusing on with your Newports and Swishers and um, and Cools and things like that. Where you did that? Okay, that's 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 what I'm going to say about it. No, I think Dr. Field, that's his that's his domain or is, is the science of it. Um, culturally, they with them latching on to our to our media. Uh, Jed and Ebony were you know the magazines that were our pride and joy, and they were built on Newport cigarette ads. Um, in every single at, at one, there were Newport ads in there, and they you can see that how the advertising changed over time. Um, when we had, you know, we had Black Power going on, there were Black Power ads, and then when we we be, joined the corporate world, they were brothers with a suit and tie on. So it, it's it's interesting to see the chronicling of the ads with the targeting, um, and at that time. We were so happy to see ourselves in, reflected in media, and that's something that um, a lot of people who who've never been persecuted and ignored they don't understand what it's like to see. I remember as a child when I saw the first uh, black Santa Claus that you were invisible. You know, when the Supremes were going to be on TV, there was a call that went out to everybody in the family, and everybody sat to watch because it was just something so unusual. And so those. That the industry was there to prey upon that as we were coming into um, uh, quote unquote acceptability and, and marketability. They were some of the first entities that latched onto that. And we see the legacy of that today, unfortunately. Yeah, that legacy is a lot of chronic disease and death related to tobacco related illness. And, you know, when I mm -hmm. think about, as you were mentioning earlier, the COVID-19 crisis that we have here that, you know, it's sort of like hallmark um, attack on the body is on the lungs and mm -hmm. how mm -hmm. those two things, being a smoker or a user of some kind of mentholated product and 
potentially contracting COVID-19 could lay um, upon each other for even worse. I think you're hitting a, a nail right on the head. Um, we already know from even the limited stuff that has been published in the last six months that people who smoke cigarettes have worse outcomes as it relates to COVID-19. Another interesting mm -hmm. fact that was published around this um, in the European Respiratory Journal is that folks who have COPD develop receptors in their lungs that attract the coronavirus. And unfortunately, oh Black folks disproportionately have high rates of COPD, thus putting them even at greater risk. So this, it's, it's, it's a setup. You have a system that has, um, you have a health system that essentially has been so racist that it's put Black people in harm's way in the first place. You have Black people in quote unquote essential jobs, um, bus drivers, bus boys, um, folks working in, in the hospitals and et cetera. Those are the people that are dying. So the COVID thing is very important. Yes. Latinos and Black folks are the ones disproportionately dying of this disease. Right. And I, I, let me add in this, that when when we talk about COVID, so in, in California right now, we actually have a bill that's uh, in play for the whole state of California to take these products off the market. And we've had some some Christian ministers, Rittany Castine, who who we know uh, get money from Reynolds American and who are those are the makers of Newport cigarettes. And they are talking about, you know, that big mama, quote unquote, needs to be able to get her menthol cigarettes. And so big mama, we know is a, I, I've turned into big mama, unfortunately, but she, big mama has a lot of health issues. She's got high blood pressure. She's got, might have diabetes. She might have a few extra pounds and she's at high risk for COVID. So rather than this Christian minister talking about, let's get Big Mama some services, let's get her some stop smoking services, let's get her some health care, he's advocating that she needs to be able to keep getting her menthol cigarettes because that's that what like she likes. That sounds like a church that needs to get on the No Menthol Sunday uh, <laughs> initiative that Napton does every single year. Um, and you know, certainly we've, we've got to do some work to reach out to those folks and make sure that they see the, the light around what is uh, good for the yeah, temple, shall we say. <laughs> really? When yeah, when you mentioned earlier that different um, interests in the Black community had been co-opted, surely I figured, you know, folks who were trying to raise money for events and sponsorships and whatnot. I did not think that the church would be one of those entities. Um, and it's really sad to hear that the big tobacco interests have been able to successfully sway certain uh, clergy to not be uh, promoting the things that would really be helpful to their congregation. Well, Carol, you're right. It is unfortunate that we have heard um, instances of black pastors, black clergy around the country sort of being tapped to be de facto spokespersons for big tobacco and uh, speaking against all sorts of menthol restrictions and the like, you know, but one thing is for sure, this is not new. Big tobacco has been uh, funding black leaders, funding churches, fund funding black institutions for some time now. Um, so, you know, this seems to me that they're continuing to double down on a playbook that they've used now for decades. What do you say to that, Dr. Phil? Well, I call it, I, I call this the African-Americanization of menthol cigarettes. 
it's 60 years of predatory marketing and counting. Um, I mean, let's be clear, only 5% of black folks in 1953 smoked menthol cigarettes. By, 1960, by 1968, that had almost tripled to 14%. By 1976, it had tripled again to 44%. And today, by, by the mid-2000s, it was 82%. And today, we're talking 85% of black folks, adults who smoke cigarettes, smoke menthol cigarettes. Where did this come from? This is essentially the assault on the African-American community. We have to look at it this way. When, when the civil rights movement is going on and people are getting hosed, churches are getting bombed, people are getting arrested, the tobacco industry is hiring black executives um, to come and sit in their office um, buildings. They tripled the advertising in Ebony between the years of 1960 and 1976. The joke was, by um, there didn't used to be nothing but menthol ads. Um, as Carol has already pointed out, they took hold of our idiom. Menthol's got a brand new bag, like James Brown's brand new bag. Um, and I guess um, what a lot of this gets down to is the philanthropy on the part of the tobacco industry. Even though there's been some changes in the last decades, most notably the NAACP and the Deltas have broken away from the tobacco industry the vast majority of black social, political, cultural, and religious groups take money from the tobacco industry. Um, all, a lot of this came out of a group of um, studies in the, early, in, the late, in the late 50s and early 60s where they found that black folks were resonated more with messages um, than um, with television messages than their white counterparts. So they started doing a lot of television advertising and using black faces. Using black faces, 1963, we're talking about the March on Washington's going down. We're talking about the bombing of the church in um, Birmingham, Alabama. Um, but the tobacco industry is using, have, using black folks in their, in their advertisements. So um, let me just, so that's the, the short story. Um, I want to say something um, more about these um, preachers. Um, you have to look at it this way. The National Action Network that, um, that um, what's his name, <laughs> Al Sharpton runs, um, and SCLC, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, have been leading the charge have been leading the charge to keep menthol products in the black community. It's standing history on its head. It's, it's, it's extremely problematic and we need to do everything we can to turn this around. You know, I know we want to refer our listeners to various quit tips. Are there, are there things before we get into that, that y'all recommend folks to look into for support if they are currently using um, cigarettes or mentholated products? I know this is a national audience. So in California, we we fight we fought for to have a tobacco tax. So we have quite a few resources, and we're really working with our state and our counties to beef up their stop smoking services, and to have things in particular for Black menthol smokers. On our one of our projects, which is the website is Amplify.love, we are adding a cessation a counselor, but it's a, more about support and steering people to mm. existing services. So there are quit lines, there are all kinds of existing services. And I know Napton 
has in, in on the No Menthol Sunday. There are all kinds of services. So a lot of times people need their hand held a little bit. They need to be encouraged. They need a good minister to say, God is on your side and we can get through this together. And so and that's what we're trying to do um, is to provide that social support for people to use the existing services that are being paid for um, out of our tax dollars and health dollars to to quit and to and to have the social connection that we need you know black people we need we need to be we need to be together we need to feel that we're pulling for each other and we're trying to bring that element to the smoking cessation party. yeah i know that in north carolina much like you were saying about uh california and their tobacco tax i know we have resources in north carolina set aside for one quit now one eight hundred quit now and that's a toll free number and that gets you connected to a highly trained quit coach that can help you manage your triggers and your cravings and to also connect you to nicotine replacement medication if that is advised. And so I'm assuming that other states have, like you said, in California. So look up your own state's quit line or quit services. They are mostly free and funded by local um, public resources. And so that's one option that we think folks should be looking into whatever state they're in. Also regarding um, what's going on now uh, for COVID-19, from what I understand, there's a big push called the COVID Big Quit. And it's a community of people making changes for their health. And they have a Facebook group. And it's just, um, just look up Big Quit on Facebook to find a community of people who are trying to manage their nicotine addiction on top of the fact that they might be suffering complications from COVID. Are there any other really big things around this topic, either the public health or the public policy pieces that you wanna bring up at the moment? Like any parting remarks about the landscape, anything at all? Well, the African-American Tobacco Control Leadership Council, and along with ASH, which is the Action on Smoking Your Health, we actually have um, begun a lawsuit against the FDA because of their inaction on menthol. So as I said earlier, the Tobacco Control Act was signed by President Obama in 2009. And one of their first things that they were mandated to do was to do something about menthol. So they've been studying it, they've been doing all kinds of things and nothing has happened. And we have taken it upon ourselves to sue them. It's an administrative lawsuit that charges um, them to review what they were told to do and to see what they have actually done. So in since 2009, uh, the European Union has taken menthol off the market. Canada has, Ethiopia has, uh, Brazil ha has, or they've passed legislation on the process of doing it. And the United States, because of our uh, political structure and the, the power that the tobacco industry welds on so many levels of society and in government, we have been unable to do anything. And that's why we've been having the piecemeal approach of doing cities and states and counties, et cetera. So we're looking forward to see uh, what's going to happen with our lawsuit, but it is historical. Um, and, that, and we're doing that for our people, to protect our people, to interrupt. Uh, this chain of this, this generational addiction to nicotine and to have a healthier community, which is what you're all about. We're all all about that. So we're very excited about that. So once again, thank you so much to our guest today, 
who came on to give us such juicy history and information about what lies ahead in the fight against menthol in the tobacco prevention world. And we thank them so much for their knowledge and for their steadfastness in this work. We know it is not easy um, given so many of the tactics that the tobacco industry throws at us. And we just appreciate that you continue to center um, how Black Lives Matter in this work as well. Well, Brittany, we certainly have a lot of history together on this issue, and we've enjoyed the many times that Carol Magruder and Dr. Phil um, got to be our mentors in this work. And so we could not be happier that they were able to come and share their wisdom with um, our audience. And we really hope that folks understand the depth and severity of the menthol issue within tobacco prevention as it relates to the Black community and health disparities. And so we just want to make sure that if anyone has any other questions or thoughts about this, we want to talk more about this in future segments. And so we'll be with you with more episodes about this in the future. Tobacco is still the number one killer of African-Americans. During this global pandemic, smoking can weaken your immune system and put you at a greater risk of severe COVID-19 infection and even death. Now more than ever, it's time to quit. Join the COVID Big Quit, a community of people like you who are making changes for their personal health and for the health of their communities. You can do this. Start by setting a quit date and calling 1-800-QUIT-NOW to get a free coach to help jumpstart your journey to a tobacco-free life. Visit naatpn.org slash bigquit for more tips. Well, that wraps up this episode of Black Body Health, the podcast. Until next time, this is your co-host, Brittany. And ideal. You have a great day. Thanks for tuning in.